Let's take a moment and pray together, please. Lord, thank you this morning. As we come to the scriptures, uh, we come to you. And we thank you that you're not a faraway God, at least not by your choice, sometimes by ours. And we pray that any part of us that would think that you're far away, you just let that start to break down. Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill all that we do. Come fill this place. Come fill our hearts and minds that we might think and believe. Lord, most especially come fill my words and fill your scriptures that they might lead us to Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Everyone say with and without. That was so weak. Let's try that one more time. With and without. Thank you. I just want to be sure you're awake with me this morning. With and without. This is not the U2 song. I can't live. With or without you. That was bad too. We were really struggling today. We're going to get there though. Before this service is over, you're going to be awake, I hope. By God's grace, I will be too. With and without. Say it one more time. Those are the last words in the book of Acts, and they are Dr. Luke's last words about the life of the Apostle Paul. He writes in Acts 28:31, with all boldness and without hindrance. You want to look at the scripture sheet with me that you've got. We'll look at verse 30, especially. It says this, he lived there. This is Paul living in Rome under house arrest. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance, with all boldness and without hindrance. Today we're wrapping up our summer-long series on the book of Acts. We've been looking at a series called Outward Bound, the ways in which God, through the Spirit, moves out through the church. He's called us not to be a people who stay isolated, separated, and alone, but to be a people who are willing to move outward. We are to be outward bound. We saw that beginning all the way back in chapter 1, when the Lord Jesus Christ, before ascending to heaven, said... In just a few days, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and he's going to anoint you. He's going to give you power to be witnesses in Judea and in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And we've been looking at select passages, really key moments throughout the book of Acts, throughout the summer, in the ways in which the gospel moved out from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and then even to the ends of the earth. And today, finally, the gospel, or at least the gospel bearer Paul, is in Rome. And there are actually some Christians that had gotten there ahead of Paul. So he's arriving to a city where the gospel has already come. He's already written his letter to the Romans. But as Paul arrives, well, we need to understand how to get here. Because remember, if you were with us, last week we were in Acts 19. Today we're in Acts 28. Like, what happened in between? I'm glad you asked. And of course, I know you all know this, but let me just give you a quick synopsis from the time that we saw Paul ministering in Ephesus for several years. He eventually decided that he wanted to go down to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. Why not? It's the church's birthday. It's right. It's the time in which the Jewish people would gather for a major feast in Jerusalem. What better time 
than that for Paul to go and proclaim Jesus Christ. But when he got there, he was arrested. He was in the temple. He was brought up on false charges. He was accused of things he didn't do. Does that sound familiar at all? That sounds a lot like what happened to Jesus. And then Stephen, we've seen this pattern throughout Acts as well and throughout the book of the Bible. And so Paul, well, he couldn't get a fair trial in Israel because the Jewish leaders wanted him dead. And so eventually he appealed to Caesar because Paul was a Roman citizen. And that meant that his case would then go on to Rome, which meant that Paul would have to go on to Rome. And so after several years of a judicial process, we have Paul now in Rome. That's where we pick up in verse 16. You might look at it with me. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. Paul is under house arrest. We find out at the very end that he's able to rent basically a flat or an apartment. But Paul's like he's got a low jack on. Right? This is Paul chained to a guard 24-7 in his house. Paul doesn't have, you know, a technology monitoring system around his ankle. He's got an actual guard chained to him or at the very least within a very close distance with him every day of the week, all the time. And these guards would rotate in out. They were from the Praetorian Guard, we're told, elsewhere. And so Paul is there in Rome. He's wanted to get to Rome. This is the center of the empire. All roads do lead to Rome, and all roads leave out of Rome. And so Paul, going to the ends of the earth, is now to this heart of the very empire the heart of the world, you might say, into the very heart of darkness. And what happens? The same thing we've seen Paul do everywhere else. Who does he go to first? Anybody know? Okay, three of you were with me this summer. Well done. He goes to the Jews first, except in this case, he can't go to the synagogue because he's under house arrest. Let's look at verse 17. After three days in Rome, he doesn't wait long. He's not lounging around. He called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And then he goes on to basically make the case for why he's there. Paul reaches out first, as always was his custom, to the Jews. And why? Well, because the gospel was sent first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And once the Jewish nation rejects the gospel, then Paul moves out further. And so wherever he finds the Jewish nation, the Jewish people gathered, when he finds the synagogue, he starts with them. And then once they say no to the message of Christ, then he moves out. Verse 20, he tells him why he's there. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you. Here's why I want to see you guys. I want to speak with you. Since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain, the reason that I'm here, the reason that I'm under arrest, the reason that I have called you before me is that I have good news for you. And the news is this, the hope that we have been banking on since the time of Moses, when Moses promised another deliverer would come. The hope that we've been looking for all throughout the history of our people, that hope has come and that hope has arrived in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and I'm here to tell you all about him. This is Paul's message. He never wavered from it. He always declared Jesus is Lord, the hope of Israel. So what happens? Verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. There were about 40,000 Jewish people living in Rome. 
And so we don't imagine all 40,000 showed up at his apartment. But you can bet that there were a large number of them who came, certainly of the leadership. And look at what happened. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God. I promise we won't preach that long today. It won't be from morning to evening. It'll be a little shorter than that. But, but what did he testify to them about the kingdom of God? The king has arrived. This is no different than the message of Jesus. This is the message of the church. This has always been the message of this church, of the church and of this church. And if you're ever at another church, if you don't hear the message of the kingdom of God, you are in the wrong place because they have the wrong message. Testifying to the kingdom of God that God has broken in, that God is now available because of what Jesus has done by dying that death on the cross, by offering himself as a sin offering for the world. Now God can be had by people. The kingdom is not out there. The kingdom is not primarily geographical, although one day it will be. No, the kingdom is within you, where God himself comes to take up residence in the hearts of those who will bend their knees and yield to him. The rule and reign of God comes to be within you. And so Paul is talking to them about this reality, and he's doing it from the only Bible they had at that point, from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And what happens? Same thing as everywhere else. Verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Some believed and some didn't. And you'll see a couple of, there's a a whole bunch of little D's that come through this section. They disbelieved in verse 25 and disagreeing amongst themselves, they departed. They disbelieved, they disagreed, and they departed. And that's what happens over and over and over and over again when the message of Jesus is proclaimed is that certain people along the way, because their hearts are hardened. In fact, Paul's going to say when he quotes the message of Isaiah in just a few moments, that it's because of their hearts being dull, that's actually why you disbelieve. And that's actually why you disagree. And that's actually why you depart. Nothing has changed from that time to this time. This is always the case. And so some believe and others don't. Those who believe enter into life, and those who don't believe always end up leaving. Such is the gospel. It always draws a line. There's no demilitarized zone in the kingdom of God. You either enter in or you stay out. And so he quotes to them the message of the Holy Spirit. Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. That's always the issue with humanity. Dull hearts. And I got to tell you, if you resist hearing the good news of God, the more you resist, the harder you get. The more you resist, the harder you get. And in some kind of mystery, we are responsible for our dullness. We are responsible for our own resistance. And yet God, God is responsible for our turning to him. It's a strange thing that we have to bear the responsibility of our sin. And yet when we turn, it's because we've responded to his grace moving toward us so that he is glorified. It always works that way. I pray it has worked that way in your life. And if it hasn't, I am prayerful that you're on that journey as grace is starting to break in, that you're not resisting and not becoming dull, because if you get dull, you will disbelieve, you will disagree, and you will eventually depart. 
And that brings us to really what I want to focus on, which is the very end. Verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. This is under house arrest with his low jack on and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. With all boldness and without hindrance. With and without. Two incredibly important words in the Bible. And let me just focus on with for just a moment. It's the one I want to spend the most time on. With. Just a little tiny word, four letters, preposition, but it's a preposition that joins things. It's a relational type of preposition, and it's incredibly important because some of the most powerful passages in the Scriptures, some of the most powerful things that God has ever said have to do with the word with. Just about every funeral we do, we include within it Psalm 23. Perhaps one day at your funeral, we will read Psalm 23. In the midst of Psalm 23, we hear this great promise. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, the great promise of God and the great message of the kingdom is not God out there. It's not even get forgiven and go to heaven later, although those things are included. It's that God comes to be with us. And yet in the new covenant, in this new age, in this new eon, I should say, in which God is moving, having come in the person of his son Jesus, it isn't even just that God is with us, as great as that is, but that God is in us. Even better. With is a big word. Jesus said it this way. If you love me, you'll obey what I command you. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll send another counselor, another comforter, one who's just like me, And he will be with you and he will be in you, even the Holy Spirit. Do you know that God comes to be with you and God is in you? I think probably more than anything else that the Spirit of God has whispered to my heart. He speaks in the quiet places within us. Probably the thing I've heard him say the most consistently over my entire Christian life is, I am with you. When you hear those words inside and when you believe that he's really there, it starts to change the whole atmosphere, no matter what you're facing, no matter what illness you're walking through. If he's with you and he's in you, you can see it through. No matter what illness somebody around you is facing, no matter what challenge you're having in your business, if he's with you and he's in you, he will see you through. You know, testimony is so important. We're going to start building in testimony uh, into our services uh, every few weeks. But I figured I might as well go first, but you hear me testify all the time. As I was thinking about this verse with, 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 the importance of with, I was reminded this morning of, of one of those foundational moments. I've spoken about it in here before, but, you know, we have those times and those moments when God shows up and God reveals himself, opens up the reality of who he is, and it just changes you. I hope you have some of those kind of moments in your life. The one that was on my mind this morning is when I was a young priest hiking on Pine Mountain, Georgia, and in the middle of the afternoon, this huge thunderstorm rolled in, just like we've been getting all summer long, right? We've gotten a ton of those. And as that storm descended upon me, I could not make it to the car fast enough. I ended up throwing myself on the ground. And it was flash, bang, 
but there was no there was no break between the flash and the bang. I could feel the electricity in there. I could feel the trees shaking. It was pulsating with power. And in the middle of that, on my face, in the pine needles, sure I was about to die, I heard the gentle whisper of the Lord, I'm with you. And I'm so much bigger than this. And that actually scared me a little bit more. Because <laughs> suddenly, as big as that storm sounded, the God of the universe was right there. And I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't expecting him to show up and speak words of kindness. And in those moments of I'm with you, what he began to reveal is, I've got this. I'm with you. I love you. And I want to say to you this morning, he's with you. Let me just speak to our baptismal people for a minute. He's with you. And he loves you. And he will never leave you. And he wants you to grow to know him. And you have the rest of your life to grow to know how wonderful he is. He's a beautiful God. He's a powerful Savior. He's with us. He's in you. Whatever you face, he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Well, there's another word there, without. Without hindrance. And it's, it's, a, it's a weird word. It's a weird way that, that Luke finishes the gospel because it's actually an adverb. Whoever finishes, if you know anything about like the way you structure things, who finishes sentences, paragraphs, or books with an adverb? Clearly we have a lot of scientists in here. <laughs> like, I don't know, who does? Hardly anybody. <laughs> Sorry. I'm a word nerd. And that's not usually how you fi- finish things. Without hindrance, without unhinderedly, unboundedly. What, what it means is that Paul's able, even though he's under guard, he's able to proclaim the gospel. He's able to do so freely. Even though there are all these limitations put upon him, even in the midst of that, he's not limited. He's unhindered. Now think about the kind of limitations. He's under house arrest. There's a guard chained to him the whole time. He can't go where he wants to. He doesn't get to go on a cruise this year. And yet in the midst of that, in the midst of the kind of things we would see as a major external limitation, he is unhindered. He proclaims the gospel. And what you find out in the book of Romans is that the very praetorian guard starts to get converted. He's preaching the gospel as the church is coming to him, but he's talking to these guards about who Jesus is. And it says that these guards, many of whom get converted, take the gospel into the palace so that even some of Caesar's relatives meet Jesus along the way. Paul is unhindered by any external limitation. And I want to tell you this, there are no limitations if you know that God is with you. Oh yeah, Chris, but I'm too young. No, you're not too young. There's no junior Holy Spirit. So you, young man, can be a witness just by living with Jesus and letting him love you and loving the people around you. I'm too old. No, you're not. Moses tried that one. It didn't work. Right? He was 80 when he got called like, to do a whole lot more. I don't have the money. Oh, really? That's a limitation you're going to keep you from, to allow to keep you? No, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. 
Now, one of the things that might hinder you is what's inside of you. And, and that's where I think we have to sort of just touch on and then pull back from, because we'll, we'll reach into this in the weeks to come, I think, a few weeks down the road. What are the things that might hinder you from being unhindered? Is it fear? That's usually a big one. I'm afraid of what my friends might think. Is it shame? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. What is it? Is it sin? Is it loving the world? That's probably the one that that we all face the temptation to allow to hinder us. Because we live in a really nice part of the world and a really great time in many ways to be alive. I know the last few years notwithstanding. But is it is it the world and being in love with the world more than we love the Lord? That might hinder you. But the good news is the God who is with you and the God who is in you would like to set you free from that if you'll simply talk to him about it. Tell him about your fears. Tell him about your shame. Tell him about the things that are taking your heart away from him. And ask him by his goodness to give you a love greater for him than for your boat or your house or your lifestyle. And he will gladly do it. It doesn't mean you can't have those things. Just you want to get them in the right perspective, in the right place, so that you can live an unhindered life with God. With all boldness, Paul welcomed all who came to him. And that that really ought to be our posture. With all boldness, we welcome anybody who comes. With all boldness, he proclaims the kingdom of God. With all boldness, he teaches about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did so without hindrance. Let's pray. Lord, on this day in which we bring these young people to the waters of baptism, we ask you that they would have just a joyful, loving boldness. Not because they work their way toward it, but because they are beloved daughters of God. And we pray, Lord, that that same boldness would be in each of us, that you are with us and that you live in us because of our faith in Jesus and because we have turned away from life under our own power so that there are no more hindrances, either to your presence or to you using us in this world. Make us like Paul, we pray, so the gospel can keep going out. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.